Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Lawson Medlin, producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics, Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor, Philosophy and Ethics, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research, and finally, our graduate assistant, Luke Graham. All right, well, today we want to talk about social media and its um, negative effects on especially our uh, younger girls, uh, but also boys to a lesser effect. Um, I think we all know that it just seems like this can't be a good thing, but now some new data has come out fairly recently, and we see a lot of mental health disorders and problems arising. And so today, since we are in the business of thinking about policies, uh, and there are some being thrown around, I mean, do we actually look to ban this of, of some sort and, and restrict people's voluntary choice, which always rubs me the wrong way. But it, when we bring in children into the uh, picture, it, it's a little bit different. We have a I think a higher level of duty for those still developing and uh, certainly wouldn't let them play with guns, right? The six-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 13-year-old. And so are we holding a weapon in our hands potentially in terms of the number of suicides that have gone up? Um, so anyway, Peter, you've got some data to kind of get us going on how this big a problem this is. Yeah. So our grad assistant, Austin, was the one who, who brought up this study that the CDC released. It was Monday and listeners were early in February right now, this last Monday. And a lot of like surprising results in the study, surprising to a lot of people. The, probably the the big statistic was that 57% of teen girls said that they felt persistently sad or hopeless, which is the highest rate in the last decade is what you know the, the article here says. I can't imagine it's been much higher in previous decades either. So my guess is uh, that this is one of the higher numbers we've ever seen, if not the highest. And, you know, furthermore, it's, it's talking about, you know, uh, consideration of suicide and how I think it's 30%, you know, of survey respondents of teen girls say that they have seriously considered attempting suicide is the language of the survey. You know, male statistics, I don't know where they're histor historically, but they're much lower than female. We've got 14% for that serious consideration number and only 18% for those who described their mental health or excuse me, 18% who describe themselves as having poor mental health. So it seems like male teens are having a little bit less of an issue. That doesn't mean relative to the past. Maybe it's more, I don't know. But this is, seems especially present in teen girls, this increased reporting of mental health struggles. So what could be a major cause of this? I, I know we threw out social media, but uh, another thing just popped into my mind. Could this be a result of more domestic abuse from the COVID pandemic. Everyone's being forced home together right next to each other. And, you know, violent tendencies are already there to, to push these people close together already with a, you know, bad moral system. Maybe that's the reason that we're seeing this increase. Yeah, I want to, I think as a group, we can maybe create a somewhat exhaustive list. It doesn't have to be perfectly exhaustive, but we can think of like the leading explanations. Let me give one devil's advocate uh, explanation first. Here's the devil's advocate explanation. People don't have worse mental health than they used to have. They're just more willing to say that they do than they used to be. 
Uh, this is one problem with surveys, by the way. This is why economists uh, tend to not use surveys. They are used sometimes. Not it's not never. But people, when they actually buy things, you know, they're putting their money on the line. But when they say things, there's the old saying, "Talk is cheap." And so maybe uh, in the past, surveys have been wrong. Uh, people have over understated, excuse me, uh, their mental health struggles. Or maybe in the present, uh, people are overstating. It could be one of the two. I'm not making a claim for either of those. So that's one. Uh, alternatively, it's this is still kind of all along the same line, but maybe part of the reason people are reporting these problems more now is there seems to be an environment amongst young people that I've experienced that I didn't really get coming up of like this idea of destigmatizing mental health issues, where young people increasingly are like wanting to talk about their anxiety struggles and their their trauma that they faced and things like that. I think this is like a relatively recent phenomena, at least some of the language, you know, whether or not you know, this has been happening for a long time or not, I'm not 100% sure of. So now, if, if that's the case, Peter, more people are coming forward. In other words, the level of mental problems have been remains constant, but yet we're coming forward. And we believe that coming forward is a healthy solution. Then this data might be a positive reflection of changes in society. And these people will be getting more help. But I think, I guess I don't remember if it was in that article or the other, but if suicide rates are actually higher, then that would probably go against that. I, so I, I don't have a suicide rates. I have surveys about seriously considering suicide, which again, uh, this, this could be like an someone being more honest than sure, in the past. Sure. I will say, by the way, so I, I agree with you, Russ. One, one possible takeaway is this is actually just people are more honest. And in general, that would be maybe would think of as a good thing. But there's actually like another way that we could construe sort of that same sort of thinking you know, this is again relatively new. This idea that we need to destigmatize mental struggles that people are going through, and if there's like a stoic listener at home, I don't consider myself a stoic, but like there's like degrees to which I'm a fellow traveler. But people who are more in the camp of uh, being a stoic might argue that this idea of destigmatizing mental health problems and trauma and talking more about your struggles actually makes people's think uh, mental health worse. And so this is a, a further possible explanation for what's going on is by making these conversations more frequent, we're actually sowing the seeds of mental health problems in people or forcing them to kind of overthink them and really reflect on the bad things rather than doing things uh, to improve their situation. And so this is another possibility. I did get that statistic, by the way, uh, the suicide rate for females increased from in 2000 year 2004.0 to 6.0% to 2015. And it was stable from 2015 to 2018 at like 6.2%. Then that rate then continued to decline actually to 6.0 in 2019 and 5.5 in 2020. I think the, the CDC's data indicate is concerning the last few years though. And this right. suicide rate conveniently ends right before the pandemic started, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think there were a lot of at least anecdata coming out of like hospitals in San Francisco, that the suicide rate among uh, teens actually went up dramatically right after the lockdown started. And uh, I know there has been have been stories in like, you know, the New York Times and they would especially like it was a, the border between like Texas and New Mexico, where one of the towns was completely locked down and the other was, you know, perfectly wide open. And there were these stories like these teen suicides on the lockdown side. Um, so I, I know Lawson mentioned this earlier about, uh, you know, COVID policies, but I, I do think locking down is a really, really detrimental, can have a really, really detrimental effect on especially young people's uh, mental health. Yeah. And you couple that with social media, then 
Then you have a situation where people aren't really having, you know, meet space friends, friends that you meet up with in real life. And your social circle kind of is, you know, your identity does shift to this digital, uh, your digital identity. And I think one of the things that we know about um, your digital identity is that when you look online, what people put out about themselves is usually very different than the way things actually are, right? We all do this to a certain degree, but it seems like it's very, very prevalent online. And I think that especially young girls are very, uh, or teenage girls are very, very sensitive to kind of click-ish behavior. And if you know from the inside that your life is messy and complicated and you're anxious, which is all completely normal if you're a teenager, but your social circle being completely online, everybody else looks like they have it all together. That can make you, that can make your anxiety much, much worse. Yeah. So I, I agree, Justin, and I'm not trying to editorialize over the whole conversation, but I want to like keep a running log here. And so I think some possibilities that we've talked about, the survey's wrong, first possibility. Second possibility, our attitude toward mental illness is making it worse. That's a possibility. Might not be right, but it's a possibility. Justin mentioned lockdowns and social media. And by the way, these aren't mutually exclusive. It could be several of them or none of them or whatever, but there's just some possibilities. One, and I think that covers most of the popular explanations right now. One other maybe popular explanation that people sometimes will put out is, and it's related to social media and even COVID to uh, tangentially, but kind of occurred before both, is the breakdown of like civil society. So these non-governments, non-work institutions in our lives you know, like family groups that get together, bowling leagues, all this stuff. The breakdown of these aspects of society, and even to some degree, the family itself, religious life, those are an another possible explanation for what's going on with mental health and kids. And so that, that's maybe like our our five. There might be more. There might I be got less, one but, more. Okay. I got one more too. So Cultural zeitgeist. <clears throat> okay. Whoa, what does that mean? You know, zeitgeist meaning like spirit of the times, or world sure. spirit, right? Comes from Hegel. But this idea that in the past 20 years, you know, if you turn on the news, the what everybody is screaming at kids today, it's that the world is going to end in 20 years mm. and the world's actually a pretty terrible place. Mm. And I think if, you know, and not only that, we glorify like, people like Greta Thunberg or whatever, who um, tell people, you know, how dare you sold our future away. Um, so I, th I think that that's. Uh, I yeah. Think yeah, no, that's a, that's a big one. And funny, I, I, I see a common thread through this being the social media and how that cultural zeitgeist comes out that way. And uh, I think, Peter, you're in the middle of a book that's kind of speaking to some of that, that the world's actually by many stretches better today than it's been ever. And those things don't get talked about because if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. Yeah. Right. And so the whole alarmist thing, I, I've uh, showed my students the headlines from 1964 and 1975 and 1980. It's the same thing of the world's coming to an end and oh, we're going to run out of this. We're going to run out of that. You know, the icebergs are going to melt and flooding and all of those headlines are consistent through the last 50 years. And that, that has been the direction of our media, uh, not being actual data like economists like to look at and, and hard statistics, uh, but rather these anecdotal stories that um, people run with and then that's what they remember and then that impacts their true feelings and sensibilities and uh, i guess what we're saying is a detrimental way and here maybe this is part of what's being reflected with our teenage girls 
I think it's important to note that th these girls are still developing. I mean, and, and guys, anyone at that age is still developing. And as you're developing, you know, your frontal lobe, you're, you're learning your own morals. And as we get shoved online, we're learning all of our morals online. If our morals are the world sucks and the world's going to end, I think it's going to be a pretty morbid future. Well, the one I wanted to add was, and Peter mentioned it maybe briefly, was the decrease in faith and religion uh, impact. The fraction of people, at least even labeling themselves Christians, uh, continues to decline over time. And so the, the uh, cultural thing to do is the self-help, right? You're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You just have to figure this out. Whereas the Christian perspective is just to turn everything over to Christ. Like you are, you are powerless on your own. We live in a sinful world. It's not going away. And, you know, kind of the coming to Jesus moment for some people, there are cradle Christians that don't maybe have this moment of like, it's all gone. All the burdens are gone when, when you uh, turn things over uh, to Christ. And I think that can be something that would help with mental issues to know that all of the things that are going on are not your burden to solve or to have to figure out. So I think in some ways, maybe that's at least contributed a little bit for overall societal things that we're seeing that that has declined. And maybe that's at least a contributing factor, not not the sole thing. Yeah, uh, that's a good. I, I think contrasting the Christian perspective with self-help is actually valuable. And it, it speaks to what I was talking about before, being like a fellow traveler of Stoics, even though I don't consider myself completely to be a Stoic. One of the there's a great C.S. Lewis quote that the man who cares about originality will never be original. There's something similar with uh, self-help. The the person seeking to help themselves constantly will never actually help themselves. You're constantly focused on yourself and improving yourself and you're constantly focused on the self. Uh, you're never going to be fulfilled. Uh, and so it's only when you give it over to I'm not just trying to be original. I'm not just trying to help myself uh, that you can finally experience like freedom from, you know, these constraints that you build for yourself. So, but I, I know we're getting close to the break. I think when we come back, we should kind of talk about out of this list, what do we, you know, it could be all of them, but that's kind of like a boring answer. What do we see as like the actionable steps given this list, what we think is the problem? What are the actionable steps? Is Josh Hawley in Missouri right to try to force mandatory age limitations on social media, for example, or do our solutions need to go another way? So I think that's a good place to leave. Sounds like a good cliffhanger to me. We'll be back in just a bit. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical. If you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles. If you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. Ottawa University through the Gwartney Institute offers an online microeconomics class for high school students to get you college ready. The course is layered with all kinds of options and support from Peter. If you or someone else you know is interested in earning a college credit, contact Russ, Peter, or Justin today. This spring, we're offering a competition called PPE League. That's Philosophy, Politics, and Economics League. In this competition, students will use their various knowledge of philosophy, politics, and economics to compete in an assortment of events. If you're interested in this competition for your students, if you're a professor, an advisor at a university, uh, please reach out and contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or reoccurring donation. Please visit the Gourney Institute page on the Ottawa University website. 
All right, so we're back, and uh, Dr. Jacobson was suggesting we kind of have our hit list, and I don't know, maybe uh, you want to start us off. I I definitely want to get into the the idea of banning it, but I think first, yeah, maybe we should look at uh, what's kind of top on our list. Yeah, so my view on the issue facing kids right now is that kids especially do well to live in an environment where they have freedom to work and create and question within the framework of safety. That is like what it, that is how to raise kids best. And so I have a big yard. I let my kids play in the yard. I let them basically run rough shot. I let them get out of my view. The only thing I don't let them do is go outside of the yard onto the highway, right? And so this is, you know, domain within a framework of safety. I think as a society, we have lost on an ideological, cultural, I don't know what to call it, level, any sort of like framework for kids to have through which they can kind of criticize and experience the world. And so that's, on my view, religion. And so if you ask, you know, I even in my, some of my classes, I'll focus on questions about ethics. I'll talk to students about what they believe about right and wrong. And I'll ask people why they think certain things about right and wrong. It's very hard to get someone, even my age, but but younger than my age, uh, to explain why certain things are right, why certain things are wrong, uh, what the meaning of life is or what the purpose in life is. The answer to all those questions seems to come down to if you really push that, well, there's not really a right answer here. I'm just kind of making it up. It's my opinion. And I think that that's, an, first off, an incorrect view. And I think it's a view that comes from a society that's, you know, all about uh, critique is that, you know, there's no correct answer. The only correct answer is constant critiquing. And I think that constant critique is an un it's, it's a poisonous environment. It, it's like playing on the road uh, as if kids are told there's no truth. There's no beauty. There's no love. Um, all of these things are, you know, this fleeting opinions that we make up at the time. Then people aren't going to believe that there's a point to it all. And so they're not going to be interested in experiencing it all. So that that's my view, but I I think maybe I'm in the minority there. I I actually don't assign social media a really big role. I think that's a symptom rather than a cause. But I I could be convinced otherwise. I think social media is exactly the kind of environment that you're talking about that doesn't have the equivalent of like what fences are for your yard, mm-hmm. right? If you're willing to let your kids play in your yard and you say like, but the, there are these boundaries and I don't want you to go past them. I think it's very, very hard to set those kinds of boundaries up digitally. The digital world seems like one in which not only can anybody, if you tell them not to go somewhere, it seems like they can easily go somewhere, but increasingly it's one where things can get into the child's environment without your knowledge too. And so that's why social media seems particularly dangerous to me, is that it seems tough to set up a kind of space in which you think, you can give your children free reign and know that within this domain, they will be safe because it seems fenceless. I guess the way I was thinking about the space was that it's in your mind, right? Like there, there is some sort of driving truth in your mind. You know, obviously I have a particular worldview that I'm going with here, but maybe some other people have a different. There's a particular truth in your mind that you can go to for a sense of security. And even that's impenetrable by like forces on social media, right? If, if you're well-informed and you really practice and you really have a, a solid belief in like some sort of truth, then even someone telling you you're wrong about the truth that actually shouldn't be something that causes problems, right? It would be like if, you know, by my fence, 
I put like a lot of I, some slippery substance. This is ridiculous. I've lost the metaphor, but <laughs> something that makes them slide under the fence. Slip and slide. You can't do that. But uh, but I do agree with you that there are certainly stages in children's life where it's obvious that the content that exists on the internet is not appropriate. And I think parents of my generation, particularly like the parents of the people who are now in the age of about 30, uh, did not account for that quite enough. And maybe we still haven't learned as a society those the, that issue. I think you're right that somebody who's like well-trained children ought not to have a problem yes. with that, right? But the point is that that means you need to keep them off of this thing before you let them on it, right? right. Or, and so that's... yeah. Yeah, there is a time and a place for it. I agree. Something to bring up with like them being exposed to stuff is something not a lot of people tend to talk about, but it annoys everyone for sure. And it's the the social media hackers, the viruses, the clickbait, everything that especially teenagers and young kids are easily susceptible to. If you realize what that's doing is it's someone hacking in to steal personal information. If you have something very embarrassing that can be leaked online, there's probably a way to do that. And I feel like there's a lot more cases than we realize of that happening. So maybe that itself is contributing to a lot of mental illness out there. I think to tag on to your point, Peter, about this constant critiquing, uh, social media, those who are on social media will see a lot of people who are similar to them in their age and the way they look, but they'll see the, the people that TikTok wants you to see, so like the more famous creators, and such. And so those, especially since we're talking about young teenage females, are going to be seeing a lot of these TikTok creators that have exactly what they want in terms of body shape, figure. And so they're just reinforcing the the value of women in the way that they look. And so they these people on TikTok or on Instagram, Twitter are constantly going to be comparing these creators to themselves. And that's where I think an issue lies. So I'm all for the banning of phones for kids. I've just decided during this podcast. So I don't think they should be allowed. I think they, and when I say phone, I'm talking smartphone so that that would eliminate access to that. And I'm okay with maybe being, I don't know what it would look like exactly, but you know, you see a kid using a smartphone, they can be apprehended and parents can be investigated and possibly uh no i wouldn't go to that extent you know start with a lot of probation and and whatever but i think having dumb phones so peter's kind of exposed me to dumb phones we can still have access to a phone that would allow uh emergency access talk to the parents whatever but it's limited to i guess peter you can help out but basically text messages and phone functions you won't have access to anything else those are the only phones that people uh, less than the age of 18 are allowed to use, period. And, you know, we have smoking laws that are similar. We have uh, alcohol laws that are similar. And I think we have to recognize some of these detrimental effects with the data coming through. And, and granted, maybe some of the data is off. I can't imagine the world's a worse place with that. I can't. I just it's you guys pr- tell me differently, but. I can't imagine that that would make the world a worse place if we have that. Now, of course, there's going to be illegal use by 16-year-olds, and they're going to find a phone, and they can maybe easily hide it. But as a society, if we actually came together, and of course, this would have to pass through the normal channels of democracy, which would be lending itself to abuse and (laughs) and lobbying and special interest and all that stuff. But imagine if we came to a place where we passed a, a federal law that says, 
you got to be at least 18 to have a smartphone. Otherwise, there's going to be penalties, fines, uh, some sort of consequences. First, I don't think social media giants would ever let you get to that point since the major market is going to be teenagers for these social media companies. Secondly, you're using, you said cigarettes and alcohol. So are you stating that social media can be seen as an addiction to the same level as cigarettes, alcohol, and those other banned substances for United States? In terms of detrimental effects, I mean, you know, big tobacco tried to back off on what you just said too, and keeping these bans, but we we still did it. Same thing with big alcohol. There's plenty of cronyism that was overcome to get those laws passed. If we really start to acknowledge the detrimental effects of our young folks with engaging in this before their frontal lobes are at least partially, by the way, the frontal lobe development, as far as I understand, is up to age 25. So this is still a bit of a concession allowing an 18-year-old to engage in it. I think one. I'm not opposed to to what you're proposing, but I think one of the wow, one of the so big <laughs> one of the big really bad things that I see smartphones doing is preventing kids from being bored mm-hmm. and preventing kids from being yeah, bored that's together. Sweet. Yeah, that's great. Uh, because yeah. what 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 things like you know Instagram or TikTok let you do is just passively consume content mm-hmm. and you know an hour can fly by and i think when i was a kid Great. you know you're bored you go find a friend you go down to the creek you throw <laughs> bottles at rocks or Try whatever catch crowd uh, ads or something <laughs> yeah but uh that kind of boredom inspires a kind of playful creativity and it's something that solipsistic consuming by yourself stops you from doing and i think that it's a part of childhood that um, is is just kind of evaporating that we didn't maybe realize was evaporating to now in eligible yeah. scholar. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I disagree with both of you, but like there's a, a sense in which I disagree because of the reason that you're talking about, Justin. And so let me be kind of specific here. I believe that there are damaging things on social media, online, whatever, things that like should not be consumed or if they're consumed will cause problems. There are also those things in the world and actually, I think there's worse ones in the world. You know, there's like that Tyler, the creator, the classic joke of like cyberbullying. Well, how's that a thing? Just walk away from your computer. Like in a way that's a little insensitive, but in a way it's also true. It's like, you know, like the screen can't hurt you. It can and it really can't in a, a different way. And I actually think children should be free to do more things in the world itself that are dangerous to where like, you know, kids today really, you know, you hear these stories of like parents getting in trouble by for letting their kids like leave the yard or whatever, which this is like a crazy town that kids can't walk places. And so I think like the appropriate solution is like, you know, look, look, people do this with the founding fathers of America, a significant number of them were teenagers. It's like, look at what people used to do at 16 and 18 and grand lives were shorter back then. So, and you know, it, you know, have longer education processes now or whatever. But I think there's like a significant amount of like true accomplishment and adventure that kids, even before the age of 18 can have in the world doing very like dangerous, daring, clever, creative things that can have real impacts that are much more dangerous than social media to them. And I think that they should be able to pursue those things. And so what that leads to me to think is like, well, how is it that people used to be able to tackle uh, leading a revolution and writing a constitution at the age of 16, uh, which seems way more difficult than overcoming problems with like using TikTok too much, right? And the answer is those people had upbringings and frameworks where they believed certain things to be true and right and just and moral about the world. 
And within that framework, they were able to operate and say things like, well, even if this goes south, even if I fail, even if the worst thing happens, you know, things will be all right because I have put my faith in, you know, for, for me, it would be in Jesus, but for you know, other people, you know, other people have other frameworks. I think we don't have, as a culture, we've lost a lot of sources of people's like hope and their ability to overcome. And so now, instead of facing danger, people sit inside. And now when they face the danger, they don't know how to respond to it. So I am more in favor of getting children accustomed to that danger, even before the age of 18, and then allowing them to experience it. I think TikTok is not a problem if you have a solid group, your feet solidly on the ground, and you go through and you see some nihilistic TikTok about how everything you've ever loved is actually awful. And you see that and you think, oh, that's a really sad person. I'm sorry for that person. I think our kids need to be able to do that because, you know, I didn't have a smartphone growing up, but I grew up on the internet. Home PCs can do this as well. You can find it on the library computer. Believe in like providing uh, rigidity against these sorts of things. Uh, that's not the right word, but strength against these sorts of challenges, not trying to keep them out completely. Personally, I'm not going to allow my kids to, you know, get TikTok accounts at the age of 10 with smartphones. But 18 seems like a long time. Uh, if they want to go out and get a job and buy their own smartphone, I'm not going to stop them from doing that. I'm just going to do my best to what, <laughs> vaccinate them from uh, nihilism. I don't know what the right way to put it is, uh, but I don't know. Inoculate. So, yeah, inoculate. That's what the word I was looking for. Thank yeah. you, Justin. So I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I think you might be overlooking the addictive nature of it, that we've, we've uncovered this thing that is has this addictive tendency to drive people away from even thinking about other goods because of what's dished up and the dopamine and the chemical response in their body. Uh, while they're viewing that. And I, I think that's something material to talk about. I also think they're still going to be exposed the way you were just describing it through internet and other sources. And of course, mom and dad's phone is in the house and they're going to sneak a pic. Uh, they're going to, you know, hide it in their closet. And, you know, so there's still going to be exposure to it. But I think it would be a big step for society if once they step outside into the public space, if they're carrying around one of these, it's just not allowed. And there's going to be penalties or fees or fines if they do. And I, I think that would be still a step in the right direction. That, that cuts off all of the great things that I talked about that kids can do from, you know, the ages of 12, well, even younger, but from the ages of 12 to 18, all the great things that like kids can conquer frontiers. What we call kids today can conquer frontiers. And that includes online, actually. If, if kids can sail the ocean and fight a revolution, they can do something productive and successful on the internet. And by saying they're not allowed on the internet, you're just saying you're not allowed to conquer this frontier. I didn't say they weren't allowed on the internet. Okay. By saying you can't be on the internet for a long period of time, you're saying you can't try to conquer the frontier for a long oh, period of time. I didn't say long period of time. I said through the specific device of a smartphone okay. that can be there, But there are some the things you can only space. do on a smartphone, right? And so whatever can be conquered only through the smartphone, you're not allowing them to conquer only through the smartphone. Would that not uh, incentivize kids just to stay home all the time if they really love their their phones? And if, they, if I go outside, I can't use my phone anymore. Would that not make a bunch of homebodies? I mean, we already kind of see that today after COVID. I mean, I, I think there there are all sorts of practical problems too. I would agree with that. But like my my big thing is like, if we're willing to say, man, kids do not get to have the adventures that they want to have. And we recognize the real world is actually a dangerous place when you go on adventures. Like, I don't the, know how you're jumping to the adventure yeah. thing like that from yeah. the banning of a phone. 
Well, be, because, specifically. because people actually do conquer the frontier online. People start businesses online. They create great products online. They innovate. They change humanity. Most actually of the important changes right now are happening uh, online. And they're happening through the internet. Are they uh, happening it, through teenagers on smartphones? They could be. sitting. In yeah, yeah, they absolutely could be. And I know you saw, I saw your retweet on Twitter, that app that was just released that allows you to code successfully on your right, smartphone right, pretty yeah. well. Yeah, so I, I think they can. Uh, and I, I think that, and by the way, I do think they're actually content creators doing cool and interesting things on smartphones. I think most of them stink, but I think there are, there are some good ones. And so in the same way that like not letting them play in the creek is going to stifle their creativity, their ability to innovate, their ability to do cool things. Cutting them off the internet creek is going to do the same thing. And the right answer is shoring up the thing that allows them to not be taken in by the the downsides, the hopelessness and all that. Letting them play in the creek is different than letting them play in the liquor store, though. Yeah. Right? I think at the age of 16, a kid can play in the liquor store. If, if, if a kid can fight a revolution at the age of 16 and found a country at the age of 16, which they have and they can, and a lot of the founding fathers we revere were teenagers, uh, yeah, they can play in the liquor store too. And so I do think we underrate the extent to which teenagers should be able to play in streets. When I was talking about not letting my kids play in streets, my kids are five and younger. Yeah, I'm okay with not giving five-year-old smartphones. I'm okay with frowning. Okay, so you're teenagers. just trying to drop the age. I say 18, they can use it. You're saying... I'm not just trying to drop the age. Shane, what's your magic number? I'm not trying to drop the age. What I'm trying to emphasize is that there is an upside to the downside when it comes to social media. And we are engaging in the same sort of, uh, you know, cushioning that we would say is bad in other environments uh, when we talk about putting up rails uh, in the smartphone. And we we at least have to acknowledge that and temper our desire to just be like, there's bad stuff there, therefore don't go there. It's like the, this This is a crazy way to live in any other instance. Of course, but Russ's point is that he's not denying that there might be some benefit. It's He's saying that the costs are higher than the benefit, right? And what yeah. I'm, sa- and and what I'm saying, saying is the opposite. What I'm saying so is, is, yeah. Empirical question, yep. right? Well, well I, it's an empirical question. It and like and here, here's my empirical evidence that we generally think that founding a country is more dangerous uh, and more, you know, valuable than getting on a smartphone. And yet we probably think it's a good thing that teenagers went and founded the country. And so it's weird to me that we're talking about not letting teenagers be on phones, which is way less dangerous than getting in a war that, and, you know, basically what I'm saying is in any other sphere, we allow children to encounter a lot more danger than they encounter on their phones. It's disproportionate, the amount of fear that people put on the internet. I disagree, and I think you disagree, too. You said you're not going to give your kids a phone. I'm not to buy it if they want to. Yeah, absolutely. And I would let them work as soon as was legally possible for them to work or sooner uh, within the law. If my kids start working at 12 via some loophole babysitting or whatever, and they want to buy a phone. Yeah, okay, that's right. If you're mature enough to go out in the world and work, then you're mature enough for me to not try to tell you that you're incapable of dealing with danger. Yeah disagree <laughs> i second that yeah i think that we uh we necessarily put up guardrails for children uh, and we do it when we think that the cost is is less than the benefit uh for this particular for those per- these particular guardrails and so i think that the cost of making it the case that um kids can't have smartphones um, or you know maybe there are some apps like maps and stuff which are great on on a smartphone maybe it's just a certain type of apps that you can't have if you're a kid or whatever. And maybe 
maybe it is best to leave this decision to the parents or whatever. But I do think that we we definitely ought to restrict children's use of smartphones. But but here's another thing. I'm not just saying that I think the benefits are greater than the costs. I'm also providing a remedy for the costs. I'm saying that the real remedy to this and the way it was remedied in more dangerous situations for children was to give people a solid worldview on which they can stand and deal with these problems. And I think, by the way, a solid worldview overcomes short-term dopamine hits too, because actually historically we've always had dopamine fiends. They take on different forms over different times. Maybe this one is particularly bad or something like that. Uh, There's lots of particularly bad ones over time though. So I, I don't uh, think uh, like the fact that it triggers dopamine receptors, I don't see that as like something that you can't overcome with a good worldview. I, I understand like we I, I can't myself create a world where everyone has a good worldview. But no, no, any more than anybody can create a world where children don't have access to start smartphones. I don't think that there's that's any more feasible. I don't believe it is. And until it happens, uh, you won't be able to convince me otherwise. So I, I don't see this as less practical than like alternative views. And it's going to be pretty easy to do in my own house. Uh, That's what I do know is there are ways to give your kids, uh, you know, strong and robust ways of looking at the world that don't make them subject to like mental poisoning. So I heard you say you agree with us that the, as long as they make their legal payment to be able to, and this would be for your kid's policy, but nonetheless, it brings up the age issue of when is it legal to work? That might be the drop down age that you'd be bringing it to. Well, I mean, and you, there's ways that are legal to work before you hit like legal employment ages to yeah, like being sitting, things, like, things like that. So I don't agree. Saying I'm not going to subsidize phones is not the same as saying that I want to ban them. So no, I don't agree that I said I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Luke. Although there is a valid arguments for the some of these bad effects from smartphones, I don't think we could go to the point of, of banning them first off for personal autonomy, but I don't think that the main issue for, since we go back to the beginning of this podcast, the issue of uh, young women struggling with mental issues is not the smartphone. I think it's the things that go within the smartphone and the apps that are promoted on the smartphone. So yes, it is going to be a contributor, but I don't think it's the main cause. I think it's the people's apps and motives behind that are going to be at fault. Yeah. And here's my drop down age, Russ. Also, uh, from my personal perspective, it is a, a person in my household is ready for that sort of thing when they become a Christian. That That's like a, a good place for me, because I think well, that when you're a Christian, you have that solid foundation, that's all worldview. I'm not prescribing that, that only Christians in society should have phones. <laughs> this is my personal household. Uh, but, but that's my answer is like when they have that solid foundation. Uh, and that's going to vary depending on your house. And it's going to vary depending on your worldview. Uh, well, maybe it doesn't actually vary on your worldview, but you'll at least think it will. So, And remember that the ban only applies really, at least for practical purposes, in public space anyway. So we're just changing a little bit of the dynamic. If a, if a parent believes my kids should be able to have that smartphone, especially within my house or on my private property or whatever, certainly be willing to make that, codify that concession even. But because, I, you know, when I was in high school, I had a, a guy that uh, his parents bought booze for the party, right? They apparently didn't agree with the alcohol age limit for their son. And then, of course, maybe allowing his son's friends to come over. That might be a different story in terms of the law. But I think that would be a step in the right direction. 
The other difficulty with the proposal, which we haven't even touched, which is like the really easy low hanging fruit, is like the enforcement of this, which Russ like kind of touched on, but also you have to really think about is enjoy funding Department of Child Safety or whatever it is, billions and billions of more dollars, giving them more agents and more control over what parents are allowed to do with their children. That that also comes with this ban. And I already think that this it, it's it's a weird place to be because I think parents have surrender most more than anybody in society, their right to certain liberties by becoming parents. Like I, I think that we should be able to stop child abuse uh, by force of, of parents. But also it's the weird spot where it's the worst place where government can intervene. There is, I think, no worse thing imaginable than the government's taking away children from people who shouldn't have their children taken away or, or punishing parents for parenting the way that they truly believe is best to be parented. So this is like radioactive territory that you're stepping into, too, with, with this ban. The idea that government can have a say in how you parent. Uh, not only is it unpopular, uh, it's also very bad, uh, like just on its face. It, it comes with unavoidable bad. I completely disagree. Smoking has evidence that it causes lung cancer. <laughs> Alcohol and early stages of infancy or in the womb or otherwise shown to cause brain damage. And now the CDC comes out with this report. There's some early evidence that says mental health, uh, suicide rates, whatever we want to look at. There's at least some evidence that this stuff's truly detrimental to our kids. I don't see it as being in a different camp. Wait, so you're okay with the government taking away kids from people who smoke in their houses? Is that like based on what you're saying there? Since it has secondhand smoke. I think it's all Russ is saying is that the state, he thinks that state, the state is justified in not selling, not permitting the sale of cigarettes to minors, but but not permitting uh, minors to smoke in public. But you, so either we're okay with punishing the children for doing it or the parents for allowing it to happen. It's one of the two, right? I mean, in the cigarette case. Russ's argument was yes, right? I'm just mm-hmm. like, this is exactly, didn't say anything about taking away kids from parents who smoke in the house. Well, you have to, right? you have to have a punishment, uh, fining parents so they can't afford to feed their kids. Maybe that's a different punishment. Imprisoning them so they're not parents bad. smoking in the house, which is not what Russ said. I was pointing out that Russ, what Russ is actually saying, sure. that the state is justified and not selling and not permitting the sale of cigarettes to minors. Okay. If you the, want to say that uh, the state is justified away, in, in, it, what your argument should be, is that uh, so should the state be able to take away kids from parents who allow their children to smoke in the house? No, or, or who smoke in the house. Any parent who does anything worthy of harm for their children would be in this conversation of things that we could take away kids for. So parents who smoke in the house are harming their children. Should those kids be able to be taken away? I think, by the way, smoking in the house is a lot more harmful than allowing your kids to use a phone in public. Probably, certainly. And so it w- it's not crazy to me to jump to this, like a parent smoking in the house should be able to have their kid taken away. If you think that someone who allows their kid to have their phone in public should be punished. That's just not the argument, though. The argument was that there's at least some threshold. And what you're saying is, oh, since there's some harm, we can do it for any harm. And well, I, that's not no, 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 I didn't say we can do it for any. I said the harm is worse. Smoking in the household, I'm saying is worse. That's my argument. Maybe you disagree. No, the argument was you have the argument was about uh preventing kids from smoking in public. Or more abstractly, parents allowing kids to do things that are harmful. That's not what Russ said. Russ said smoking and he said alcohol. And that we have law, specific laws on those on the books for that, right? Can can do you think parents should be punished for this or kids? Let's start there. In which case? Either. I think there are some cases when kids should be punished like if 17-year-olds drink on their own outside of the house or whatever. 
then the kids get punished in that case. Okay. Are right. there cases when kid when parents should be punished? The if, parents buy them the phones. If like my phones, like minor, well, you're mixing drugs. all these. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm my, uh, we're talking about alcohol. It is yeah. a felony to provide, provide alcohol to your kids. Sure. If you are giving your kids alcohol when they're five, then yeah, the parents should be punished. Uh huh. So those are what about two giving your kids your a phone when you're twelve? You asked me questions about alcohol. Now, but now I'm asking you a different question. What about giving your phone when you're 12? What's the law? I'm asking you if it's appropriate to punish them in the same way that it's appropriate to punish a kid. I'm not asking you what the law is. I'm asking you, okay, I assume you think it's okay to punish parents for giving kids alcohol when they're five. I do assume. I okay. do think it's okay. Okay. Yes. What about giving a parent giving their kid a smartphone when they're 12? Right now? No, yeah. of course not. No, no. Do you it's think it's okay? Uh, no, 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 no. Not is it legal? Is it moral for us to pass that law? Is it moral for us to pass the law that says if you give your 12 year old a smartphone, the parents are punished? Ought not to have a smartphone. And parents will be punished if they provide it. I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I yeah. think that would be a permissible law. Okay, so yes, you are okay with punishing parents for giving kids access to phones. In other words, you're okay with increasing the scope of behaviors in which the government can control parents' ability to parent. Possibly. I already yeah, said yeah, I was willing to codify. Oh, yeah, yeah. I already said I was willing to codify that uh, within the home it'd be different. I'm saying the, the no, no, I'm saying in public. They still give you the. Yeah, they're still public. enabling it. Yeah, still yeah. enabling yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm saying that's radioactive. I'm saying that anytime you give the state the ability to take kids away from parents or punish them for how they're raising their children, you are giving those agents leeway to have control over the parents and the children. And that is always bad in my case. Now, it's not always bad that it happens, but it always comes with bad. Sometimes costs outweigh benefits, benefits outweigh costs. But I don't like that the government can take people's kids away. I think in general, it is a bad thing. It does have costs, right? We all agree with that. The question is whether or not, as you said, the benefits outweigh the costs. Yes, but but I'm saying not only is there a cost to the individual case, there's actually a cost to the expansion of scope. And actually, that's the biggest cost of this policy is that you have... Well, how do we check if the parents provided a kid to their phones? How do we hold them accountable for that? We're going we're to need to be able to check somehow. I guess we could send someone into the home and see, you know, is the parent encouraging them in the home? Or we could look at the financial history of the parents. See if they it's codified. But, you know, you need to enforce and you need to monitor. And so how no, are we it's gonna, only the monitoring is when they're outside the home. Sure. Did, they're the, in the, did the parent, that's a, that's did a the parent enable them to do it outside the home? Did the parent enable them to do it outside the home? And so, and so, yeah, and the judge decides by monitoring. And so we have to monitor the parents now, probably inside their homes, in their financial history. And, and a pretty okay. slippery soap argument here. No, no. Uh, well, when something becomes lower cost, it does become more likely. Yes, if, if that's what you call the slippery slope, I agree. And I think we'll be helping the benefits to all of these kids that are being subject to these bad influences will far outweigh the handful of anecdotal stories that you're bringing up. No, it's not anecdotal stories. It's that whenever government policy is passed, we increase the scope to which government's allowed to surveil and control our lives. And that's true 100% of the time. Uh, that's true of border policies. It um, is not true that if we pass this, by uh, then automatically the state will be able to go into everybody's home and look at everybody's financial will be what It will be less costly for them to surveil people. It will, yeah, but that's Certainly. that's a huge leap from it will be less costly for them to serve. Yeah, I'm giving an example on the margin. Yeah, to and all these terrible things will happen as a result. Well, I'm giving you a list of things that could happen because you lower the cost of it happening, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think those things are really bad, and they're underrated. And uh, I think it's really bad that kids get access to hardcore pornography. And if ever, and what you are advocating is that all these children get access to, and view hardcore pornography because we know that that could happen as a result of this.
it's logically possible. Mm-hmm. And since uh, in the same way that you're saying no, it's that, not logically oh, this, possible because I'm providing an alternative, right? Even on your alternative, we know. Even on your alternative, this will happen too. Yeah, but Less don't you so. see though that I'm doing the same thing that you were just doing, which is uh, taking the absolute extreme and saying this is this is what you're. But, but I gave an answer for the extreme. I said that I think that there's this way that we avoid the extreme. And there are ways in which you can avoid extreme governmental overreach too. Are there? Yeah, I, uh, so. that's the least plausible so. thing you've said all day. Yeah. I think uh, that we can avoid extreme government overreach. If history teaches us anything, I think that that's uh, maybe the most utopian thing that we've seen. That you're leading down the slippery slope to Big Brother, and there be more invasive. To me, we've got an existing police force. When the police are out patrolling, there's some people smoking weed. There's some people smoking cigarettes. There's some people drinking alcohol. Are they? Uh, do they look of age, or do they not look of age? And instead, now, what device are they holding? Is that a dumb phone or a smartphone? I don't know. I, do you I have your child identification a... card on you today, yeah. sir? Uh, do you? Do you? What's what's your what's your child identification number? Can you tell me what's your parents' identification? Number? Can you tell me? So, yeah, yeah. What's your address? Like, yeah, yeah, code. yeah. Well, we need a database for it though now because there's all these crimes. So there's not like a, a split between devices here. It's like one standard size fits all for adults and kids. Why? I mean, maybe a step in the right direction is incentivizing these these big companies, these big tech companies to come out and make stuff specifically designed for kids. Because, like, I mean, that's that's what we've been talking about. It's like they have access to everything. Listen, I'm a, I'm a fan of the bottom-up solutions. I agree, Lawson. I'm not a fan of the top-down solutions. I know Russ and Justin like them, but I'm not a fan of the top-down solutions. I, I think, that like, devices like the light phone, I think there's a lot of interesting solutions. People come up to these sorts of things. Uh, yeah, I, I, I am. When it comes to kids, the game changes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I know you and I are all on board. Well, I see, see that, older, but, but, but the difference is that I think that bottom up solutions are better too. not just that they are that top down solutions are maybe wrong for some sort of reason. But I actually think bottom up solutions do a better job than top down solutions. So when it comes to protecting kids, I want bottom up, not top down because it works better. In New York City, I know like now you can you can smoke weed in public. I'm, I'm assuming with that law, you can probably start drinking in public, smoking in public. You can't in Missouri. I just heard about the for the parade today. OK, they mentioned but I can't smoke in public. Weed. Well, but in uh, New York, since you can, but now kids can't have their smartphones. And so it just seems it just seems kind of not that it's wrong, because I do see some issues with smartphones, but I just don't see that banning them at the same level of alcohol or of weed or of cigarettes it, you can't equivalent them because one i feel like phones are direct it's with me and me only but then when you have when you include alcohol and you weed and cigarettes there's a lot of externalities that are part of that so especially like the smoking in the house if you're smoking weed even if like you're in times square you're gonna smell that that smell is bad and so you're you would know uh, someone's doing that and that's going to lessen your experience of Times Square. So there's negative externalities with these other things, but there's less externalities when it comes to smartphones because they're more direct with who I am. I think from like a Justin or us perspective though, like externalities on smartphones could be huge, we could imagine. So like Justin brought up an issue either earlier of hardcore pro- pornography and that being damaging to young kids. Uh, and that can affect people external to those kids, right? It can change those people's lives and that affects people in external ways. So I think, you know, a smartphone use, though the externalities are less obvious, still exist. And I would not deny that. And I, I you know, in terms of like, if we have a mental health crisis in this country, that's an externality, right? And so I actually think they, it, that, yeah, the externality still exists. I just am not I a don't government think solution the, externality person. I don't think it's the smartphone that's causing 
all the externalities, I believe it's the apps within the smart. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so that's fair. And I, I think Justin Russ would agree too that there's maybe a tinkering. That, that's, that's where I get to the dumb phone versus the smartphone is yeah. that I don't think you're ever going to be able to like, you know, restrict websites yeah. like is done. You know, that's just not even what makes a smartphone a smartphone is the apps. Yeah. 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 That's so I, I'm not sure that's a distinction that yeah. makes a difference. Yeah. But yeah. having a device that's fairly low cost of a dumb phone, even though you said yours was pretty expensive, but <laughs> to me, that industry would transform. I, Imagine if that was the law. Now, all of a sudden, those dumb phones would come down to fit. Probably lobby a lot for that. They, they, they would come down cheap because all of a sudden the demand would skyrocket. I think the externalities from having a generation of people solipsistically staring at their phone. I agree. Hours with that. Oh, yeah. It's, enormous and way more than uh the externality and cost that we get it's hard to like, argue there'll be a boomer with you on this i agree with you 100 right. it's hard to argue the breakdown of the family when you go out to a restaurant and family of five is all on their device and not talking to each other I mean, it would be with with my new podcast uh you know the kids wouldn't be able to do that and so maybe the parents would actually set their phone down to have a conversation with their kids and the silence that would like somebody going to talk and that's okay if like nobody talks for a minute and then all of a sudden something novel comes up of uh, a topic imagine that there's Instead a lot of, look at this video in one flew over the cuckoo's nest where uh i don't know if you guys have seen yeah that. i have yeah, a great where one. uh jack nicholson is you know talking to them and he finds out that he's one of the only ones who's actually committed there and like and everybody else is there voluntarily <laughs> and his line to billy you know young billy is like billy what are you doing in here you should be out there bird dogging chicks. Um, <laughs> the idea being like, you should be out there living your life. And I, that's the kind of thing I feel like uh, yelling at people when I see them uh, just out to dinner staring at their, with at, at their content phone. being yeah. provided yeah. to them. And, and listeners, uh, I agree with Russ and Justin here. I think the that smartphones are damaging. I think they're so damaging. I don't have one myself, which is like a really rare thing. And I've noticed this too. But when I'm like at family events, I've noticed it happens frequently. Everyone will be sitting on like couches and stuff looking at their phones. And because I don't have a smartphone, I don't have that opportunity. And so it's it's almost like dystopians, like look up, like, <laughs> like no one even seems like they want to talk because, and you know, I'm not blaming my family. This isn't like a family, my family phenomenon. It's, it is a countrywide phenomenon. There are problems. Uh, I do think that it's possible to fix these problems at a root deeper than just getting rid of the device. And I'm not saying Justin or Russ don't agree that that's a possibility. I'm not saying that. And maybe you think that the immediate fix of solving that harm is still worth it. So I, yeah, I might help us move the direction. I don't think world the legal fix. route is realistically a possibility. Sure, I think sure. you're going to have to fix it at the root. Mm, you know? Yeah. That doesn't yeah. mean I wouldn't support the legal. Yeah, thing. yeah. I if, if you have the button in front of you. Sure, sure. sure. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. All right. Well, wow. What a lot of fun. I think we brought up some interesting issues and possibly have a, once again, a policy solution that'll make America a better place. Uh, we'll see if it passes. I'll, I don't know if our, how many of our congressmen and women are listening, but there you go. Uh, you can run with it now. It's yours for the taking. You can just call it maybe the Russ Law or something would be nice if you, if you wanted to throw that out. But other than that, I don't need, really need that either. This has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Please pass it along to your friends and family that might enjoy listening. We have a lot of followers and some good feedback from them. Don't be afraid to shoot us an email if you've got a topic or something you want us to speak on. And uh, other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.